Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Hello, friends, back again. It's a regular episode of our program. This is episode 82 of Code 47 Podcast on the Secret Friends Unite Podcasting Network. Uh, I am Charlie Carden, Trek Lord of West Michigan, your humble servant, uh, joined, as always, by my faithful companion who bothers to dress up when I just wear a cute T-shirt. That would be Mr. <laughs> Peter Stein. How are you? Doing all right. And, uh, well, good. And our, our third chair, uh, we're settling into more of a pattern where we're going to be doing uh, a third chair. So Katie will be on most of the time. However, she had another obligation. She is uh, in the great north of Michigan on an away mission, helping out a friend. Uh, Sadly, with, she misses out talking about Lower Decks. Oh, my gosh. But she'll be back next week because uh, in next week's episode, we're going to have a rip-roaring time, rip-roaring into what I consider to be the worst Star Trek film, even though April and I actually... <laughs> <laughs> we did just watch Star Trek. We did just watch Star Trek Five. Quick sidebar: Star Trek Five because I got my uh, 4K Blu-ray discs, and we were talking. I didn't get one of those. We were talking through them, and April said, "I've never actually seen Star Trek Five. I think I know about bits and pieces, but actually sitting down and watched it. So we sat down and watched it. Wow, talk about a film that holds up less and less as time goes by. Yeah, oh, I actually saw God. it for the first time when I was. 20 i think yeah oh wow okay so kind of a late yeah this film from the the summer of 89 and it was uh, not exactly a, a stellar standout but anyway we've talked about it in the past i think at some point in the past we'll probably go back and do all the films over again that could be but, fun especially since they have the re-releases yeah, yeah so. just because we um you know i had different guest hosts in the past and I know that we took two, three, and four and put them in a trilogy and did it in one episode. And I think that that was a mistake. So I'm I'm crunching to do it again. So I'm feeling like when we're in a lull between Prodigy and the next program starting up, we'll probably tackle the films again. You know, whatever whatever weeks we end up having. So anyway, not to put the cart before the horse, we actually have a news story this week, we and did. it's Peter's news story. So I'm going to let him take it away, and I'm just going to kind of hang back and smile. Yeah. So I found out about this uh, early, early this morning, um, and it because it just dropped yesterday. So IDW has announced they are releasing a five-month run of a Star Trek Resurgence prequel comic. Now, if you don't know what Star Trek Resurgence is, never fear. That's because we haven't heard anything about it since March. Oh, my. Yes. So, <laughs> the, the collective memory is short. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a game being worked on by the folks over at Telltale Games. Um, so it's kind of a point and click. If you're familiar with like the the Batman series that they did or like Back to the Future or Game of Thrones, um, it's going to be something akin to that. Um, it's set uh, after Nemesis. So that that period uh, with the whole gray and tell, black uniforms. You tell me it's going to be kind of lower decky. I don't think so. I don't think so. It looks like it's being a little bit more serious. Um, If only because the, um, I mean, we know that Spock is involved. So this might actually be a lead up to um, the, um, 
Hoba Supernova. Who knows? Oh, oh okay. Um, it's a little, but, little, little further past Lower Decks. Yeah, it's not clear when exactly this is. Uh, they may have said in one of the earlier announcements, but it hasn't popped up recently. Gotcha. Um, but anyway, the comic series is going to follow the shenanigans of the ship, the USS Resolute. And okay. we're dealing with returning guest who we'll be mentioning later, Dr. Leah Brahms. Ooh. Uh, so she was actually, uh, cause I finally, and I'm going to talk about this on, uh, SFU prime, uh, which you'll be listening to this Friday, but I have finally gotten around to, um, reading the Magnum opus, uh, Star Trek, the mirror universe war, which is set in the oh. TNG era. We actually interviewed the Tipton brothers on this show, before the first issue came out and I subscribed to the series, it kept dropping into my uh, comicsology. And I, this is like yeah. nine months ago. I haven't read any of them. So I'm going through them now. Leah Brahm shows up. You've got yeah. mirror versions of Shelby. You've yeah, got, no, I've seen like the covers of them. Yeah. They look fun. I just haven't. Oh read yeah. Them. They're great. They've got kind of that. They're painted. They got that Alex Ross vibe. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that on SFU Prime because I'm enjoying that. And there are a lot of little side, little tie-in novels, like there's one about Data and one about Jordy and one about uh, Picard. But it's kind of cool. It's set prior to a couple of years prior to the season two episode crossover that brings us back to the mirror universe. So you kind of find out why how, how O'Brien ended up on Terok Nor because he was on the Enterprise before that. And yeah, it's, and it's a huh, interesting. Le- Leia Brahms may or may not have had something to do with that. <laughs> There's no, no, but it's so, fine. No, I, I look forward to on issue on issue seven of eight. So yeah, Resur- the resurgence run is actually bringing back an alien race that we haven't heard of for a very, very long time. Uh, the Talarians. Uh, oh, the guys, they have the uh, they have the one line they, through the, the head. They're the guys with the knives. They adopt the one human kid, and he tries to kill Picard. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, they're the very arrogant. Like we're so badass, and their ships have like pea shooters, and like we're gonna take on the Enterprise. Yeah, and we're like, gonna do all this could, stuff. Like you can't. We, do we could literally drive over you like a monster truck. You should piss off. That's what Picard should have said. Yeah, we're taking the kid. Yoink. <clears throat> Yeah, so so it looks like that's going to be interesting. Um, the Talarians appear like they're going to be some sort of in a sort of villain role. Um, they don't have a whole lot of details on that. Um, but starting in November, we'll get uh, f- it looks like five issues, um, cool, cool. which means that Resurgence itself is pushed back from late 2022 to early 2023, which is what I was expecting since we hadn't heard anything from. Oh them boy, since yeah, it, it does tend to shake out like that. So, but that's cool, you know. I mean, it, with this deluge of content that we get, we got shows, we've got you know novels and this thing and that thing, and they keep talking yeah. about a movie that's hopefully never going to happen if it's going to be set in the Kelvin universe. Hey, you know, if they do an Enterprise Romulan War movie. I'm all for that one. I mean, that's something that's been thrown around since the mid 2020s. That would be spectacular. That's been thrown I, around since like 2010. All right. I mean, <laughs> Not before that. it's in this current climate of we're bringing this thing back and it's successful. You know, they brought back Maverick in Top Gun, and that's now one of the top three top grossing films of all time. Now, again, that's cinema, but it's not uh, television. But still, you know, they brought back Picard and the layer of level of success has been, but people are excited about it. I yeah. think the, the level of excitement, if they can grab maybe not all of the the castmates from Enterprise and, and have another show that shows us some rhyme and war. Or maybe they do a realistic time jump forward that shows them in the... Uh, the Early 20, Federation. The, yeah, the 2170. So you know what? It's 10 years after the founding of the Federation. And then there's this big, bleh, you know what I mean? And, and something that Archer's got to get his gang back together, kind of like season three of... Uh, 
of Picard that we're looking at. But boy, are we getting off topic. Oh, my God. So hey. this is cool. This is cool. Yes, I know. We, it, uh, it, we, we follow the process where it leads us. But we've got uh, we got two great episodes of Lower Decks to talk about. And then we're going to get into the end of TOS. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be a big episode. So, Peter, without further ado, uh, give us the summary of Season 3, Episode 3 of Lower Decks. All right. This episode is called Mining the Mines Mines. You got (laughs) that? (laughs) (laughs) On a remote science outpost, stone orbs are bringing fantasies to life. Tendi starts her first day as as a senior science officer trainee. Oh my god, we're keeping the trend going. This season is is just crushing it. I mean, in the first two minutes, we got what I consider to be an early favorite for the name of this episode. Um, you have a, a Federation scientist, you know, picking up these little green orbs and whatever it is, and then this woman appears behind him and he says, So and so, my seventh grade teacher? Why are you wearing a toga? And she's like, oh, blah, blah, never mind that. I just, I, you know, have read your fan fiction about race cars. And she said, really? I never showed that to anyone. I I wrote myself in as the main character. He's called Speedy McWheels. (laughs) So, uh, point of order, Speedy McWheels rules is the episode (laughs) title so far. We'll see how that evolves. But this was fun. So we have, um, we have, uh, are three of the characters down on the planet uh, who are charged with um, gathering up. And what was the name of the alien race? It was like the grumble or something. Yeah. Something like that. I don't remember exactly. Oh my God. And so, and then you have three lower deckers from the Carlsbad, which is also a class ship. They're down there. They're kind of, they're kind of pissing and moaning at each other. Um, and, you know, the, you know, people for Carlsbad are like, yeah, well, you know, we're blah, blah, all about business and this thing and that thing. And so our lower decker starts saying, well, do we have a rap? Do people think we're like jerk offs, basically? You know what I mean? So like they're they're Does no one like us? Yeah. So they're trying to anyway, the mission of these six ensigns is to 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 gather up all of these orbs. And uh, I think Billups is down there. No, not Billups. Who's the who's the one red shirt guy who's always walking around? I forget his name. He's yeah, a he's ransom walking. ransom suck up. I don't remember. Yeah, he's his name. toadies. He's just a lizard. He's the guy who had the who has the weak bones. Don't you remember he was on a date and in the bar last season and he has the he has weak bones. And he's like, I do not have, you know, bad calcium. Oh, my back. Was that the same guy? Uh, it might be. It seems like it they then lean into it. Would make sense because they lean into that joke a little bit at the end of this episode. Right there, you go. So, so this is so naturally because these orbs cause hallucinations. Uh, once they finally, you know, they, they cause your fantasies to come to life, and then <laughs> your fantasy touches you and it turns you to like Medusa, it turns you into stone. Well, what happens when you break them is it causes your nightmares to come to life, and some of these nightmares were the bomb. You get a you get a giant Borg anaconda. You that get, was great. Klingon, Klingon clowns with batless for arms. Insane oh my Klingon God. clown posse. <laughs> yeah, oh, whoops! Hold on, we might have a contender. Um, you know, get, yeah, give me that merch. I need a, a crazy clown with uh, with batless arms. That was hot. Um, so it, it was fun, and eventually, they, you know, obviously they get the issue under control. Uh, they find out that the. Um, the grumble and the Federation science team were working together to try to sneak on like listening devices, which is hysterical. They were doing a scam, which is like, Oh, that's kind of distasteful. Um, And then the the B story was Tendi and it was really, it was really pretty, pretty B story because it just didn't have a lot. Yeah. It didn't, that didn't do a whole lot for me. I mean, Tendi's great, but it was kind of one of those. 
And you got, and, you know, you got the bird counselor, Miggly Mo, who I love because that's Paula Tompkins. I mean, it was fine. But yeah, the, the story was, I like Tendy, but yeah, this this B story was a little bit too much B story. Um, yeah. So fun episode. But yeah, the, the, the A was much stronger than the B, which is fine. It's got to be that way. That's hey, why every once in a while you got to have, like, there's always going to be episodes that are a little weaker than the others. Right. No, I, no, so. I totally agree. So, all right, moving on. Any, any final thoughts before we move on? I'm sorry. Uh. No, not really. I, I mean, for me, this one was a little bit of a little weaker than the other ones, potentially because the B story was just meh. Fair, fair. Yeah, so I got gotcha. you. Well, cool. All right. Well, moving on. Episode four of the season is Room for Growth. Uh, our cat, well, Mariner Boimler and Tendi clash with their arch rivals, Delta Shift, and the Cerritos <laughs> engineers go on mandatory relaxation leave. Uh, this was definitely the stronger of the two episodes because yeah, yeah, you had you had the the fun chase through the bowels of the ship. What basically happens is that the episode begins with our lower deckers, you know, in their their hallway uh, where they all live, which I still think is just weird because you don't see that in any other ship where the, where the people have absolutely no privacy because you do see in yeah. Star Trek VI there are bunks on the Excelsior. Yeah, but they're in rooms. Yeah, they're in rooms. You, see, not you see them in uh, TNG, too, when, when the saucer's going down in generations right yeah but so you know that makes sense because if you've got this huge ship and there's a thousand people on board but you know the the cali class is i mean it's it's sizable but it's not so big and we, we also don't know how many people are on it so i guess i guess that's the biggest part of it but well, it works it works i mean it works as a plot device obviously because you know cramped cords obviously it drives the plot of this episode because what's going on is our people hear a rumor that uh, on, you know, on one of the upper decks, uh, there's one private cabin that's going to become available, but it's going to be a lottery. And so, and then they hear that their arch rivals beta shift and our people are, no, our, their arch rivals are delta shift, our people are beta shift. They hear that the delta shift people are going to try to stack it because Tendi's crawling through a corridor and overhears the delta shift people talking about how they're going to yeah, sneak around. chasing a Murph-like creature. Oh, right, the Goopy. She's chasing her new, newest science experiment, Goopy. Yeah, very nice. It just story. reminds me of Murph. I don't, I don't totally. know if that's going to go anywhere, but that's what it reminds me. Of. I, it, it, right, yeah, like Dog. The, we still haven't seen Dog the Dog again, so you never know. Um, so anyway, the entire you know thrust of of this portion of the episode, and this is this is an episode I feel like the A story and the B story really do. Uh, hold water against each other because I both thought that they were great. Um, yeah, so all of our A story is these three characters trying to beat the Delta Shifters by following an alternate plan where they can't take any of the turbo lifts. They got to crawl through different corridors. So they end up going through a, sw- a swamp, which is over the hydroponics bay where you see uh, Lieutenant Kayshawn talking to a plant, you know, and just kind of a weird throw in for him and just strange stuff that they're going through to, to try to beat it. And they, they finally get there. The hallucinations were pretty funny. Oh, <laughs> yeah. T- Tendi as a, what was she, what was she, a butter, uh, a star, but a butterfly or a star. Yeah, like a little, little moth. And oh then like <laughs> Beckett's arms just doing like this big noodle thing. Oh my God. It was it was it was fantastic. So uh, in the end of it, obviously they say, you know what, we don't want to get split up. But then the, the, per, the person who ends up getting uh, the room uh, just end up sharing it with the rest yeah. of Delta. Yeah. yeah. So they turn they turn it into basically a dorm room, and they're like, why the hell didn't we think of it? And Rutherford is gone because oh god, the beginning of the episode we. 
callback to one of the really not classic uh, season seven TNG episodes, which was, well, I tell you, if you look at those last 10 episodes of TNG, they were all supremely weak. And this was one of them. And the name of it, what where data gets transformed by the Darcy archives. What's the name oh, of it? Oh, masks. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, that's where it was M- M- not Migley, no, what was uh Nertucci or something. Was the Adosian mentioned it later. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it gets it, it gets thrown out there. So um, th- this was you. Th- this that terrible episode was used comically, like saying, "Oh, guy, we got to find a better way to deal with these Darcy archive problems." Because it sounds like these happen all the time. Um, but anyway, there's more. <laughs> so it, it, what that resulted is in a couple of weeks of the engineering people have to work their asses off to get the ship working again, and they're all super worn out. So the captain says, "You know what? I'm taking all of you on a." mandatory rest to the hospital ship or the relaxation ship and i'm going too um and so they go and it's funny because the engineers can't find ways not to to work and do engineering stuff and so yeah like they they do like this drawing in the sand and they end up like making a warp right. core reactor schematic right <laughs> and the, the one girl's getting that she's getting a massage but she's with her face down she's, yeah, she's working on a stem bolt <laughs> yeah exactly not a self-sealing stem bolt no um but funny. It was just, it was awesome. Yeah, but so anyway, I just, I I love this episode. I think, like I said, I think our A and B were both equally strong as opposed to episode three. Yeah, they worked a lot better. Where we felt it was it was really definitely out of whack. So anyway, uh, other thoughts about episode four? Um, I thought it was really, really funny how the solution was, we need to go work on something. And they built a de-stressor machine. <laughs> just like they deus ex machina to a, a Right. De-stress machine. And then the hospital ship is just like, get rid of it. It'll make yeah. us obsolete. Yeah, they're gonna put us out of put us out of business as And were. they also use cucumbers to trick their stress oh, meter. Yeah. I love their stress band. <laughs> so they basically have a, a mood ring that's an Apple Watch. It's it's uh, uh yellow is slightly stressed, green is good. Red is pretty stressed, red. and then black alert. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, but black black with a red band is is super stressed out. So and it's funny because the captain's talking, getting pissed off, and then she hits black, or at least you see a vein in her forehead and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just man, it just it, it worked for me. It was fun. Like I said, I'm feeling the vibe where I was a little willy nilly on the show last season, uh, and again, I was I was kind of colored by the folks I was working with. Really hated it, so it was tough to to enjoy it while while getting all this hate. I, you know, I hate to yep. dump and on that. Katie and I love it, so and we, we love it. it. <laughs> and so yeah, Kate, when Katie came on board, she's like, no, 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 you're gonna watch it again. We're gonna. She she had that. We had a whole episode, a segment that was you know heels and feel heal how you feel about lower deck and learn how to feel again so i am now i'm all in but i i think episode three episode three much or season three much like season three of tng i feel like the show is definitely hitting its stride we're kind of getting some of the best the best the best gags because the characters are developing which kind of helps the develop so i think that's really helping out so cool all right well moving right along it's the end of the road on this long road it's been a that very is, long road. It's been a very long road. But yes, this uh, brings us to the summer of 1969 cancellation of Star Trek, the original series. Yes, the show, so nice, they canceled it three times. Um, yeah, by the, and again, I'm, I, I'm spitballing from memory. Peter, feel free to jump in if you have additional facts. But by the time 
and we've been talking about this for the last couple of months while we've been breaking the series down. By the time we got to the third season of the show, the people at NBC were like, you know, we really got to get rid of it. Uh, kept moving it to worse and worse. You know, they, they're like, we're going to cut the budget. We're also going to move it to Fridays at 10 p.m., which in 1969 meant people who had a social life which wasn't necessarily people who love Star Trek were not staying uh, staying up or staying home on a Friday night when they could be out, you know, doing yeah. teenager stuff or doing. I mean, if whatever. it was me in 1969 doing oh, similar stuff right without the internet, like I would be playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends, and maybe we'd have time for TOS right. at that point. Or it would be on exactly. So, but anyway, people were missing it, so the ratings went down. And back in a world where you know ratings were king, which just because you know that traditional system. Not only that, and again, I would if Peter, feel free to jump in here. I know that after the series was canceled, which happened three or four weeks before the moon landing. Which yeah. is totally yeah, if, exceptionally if stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right, it happened. Well, the final episode, which we'll get to, aired on June three of nineteen sixty nine. The moon landing was on June twenty of nineteen sixty nine. So what? Because yeah, the moon landing and it was like, oh my god, space is real. Oh, where's Star Trek? Uh, meow meow. And CBS was like, oh, yeah, NBC, ooh. NBC actually, yeah. And I um at that time, and again, I'd have to, you know, I know this is your loose leaf history book. I know that the way Nielsen ratings were, were calculated or whatever it is, was reevaluated within a couple of years of this happening. They went yep. back, they crunched all the Star Trek numbers and they said, Oh my God, this is one of the most popular programs in the history of anything. We yep. are stupid, but it was too late. And, but it did give us TAS, which we will ignore because there's a know, couple that, good episodes in there, no, but there's, there's some good concepts, but yeah, TAS, I would definitely say it's kind of like star Trek five. There's good stuff in there, but you do have to look for exactly, it. Exactly. Correct. I love, I mean, star Trek five, I think gave us some great moments. I think. There oh was yeah. Some great, the, I think the, there was that some whole great, bit where they're facing their fears, facing that stuff. Yeah, facing that was That's a good spot. I, it's, you know, it, and, and it's they, one of the Kirk quotes that I've actually used in serious contexts. Right. I don't um, want my pain taken away. I need my pain. It's true. I, from somebody who's been through a lot of crazy bad shit in my life, it's absolutely correct. I would not be standing tall as I am today if I hadn't been through what I've been through. So you know what? That's true. Um, you're right. As a film, it doesn't work. But as it's kind of like, and I know you and, you and I won't agree with this because you love the Star Wars prequels. But what a lot of us older folks say was, you know, the prequels work in pieces for, for, for us people who grew up with the OT. But that's conversation for another time. Hey, I'm willing to say that there's parts of the prequels that don't work. Okay. I am not, I'm not one of those starry eyed like everything about the prequels blink, is great. Blink, blink. Yeah, we've had plenty of those on Holocron. Chronicles. Yeah, not, I do not, love not, the prequels. Yeah. As a sidebar, but it's not. An I, I am also the guy who will sit there and say, if you want to know what the worst written scene in George Lucas Star Wars is, it's episode two, the fireside room. That's it. Don't ever make me watch that. Padme in her SM gear all the way. Anyway, let's get to, Wow. Let's get back to talking about the end of TOS. <laughs> yes, because uh, yes, we went from TOS to TAS to Star Trek V to the Star Wars prequels. Woo! Holy cow. Whoosh, oh. warp 13 switch. Yeah, and we will fly backwards to episode 19 of the season. Is Requiem for Methuselah, try to say that five times fast, uh, directed by Murray Golden. Don't know the name. Jerome Bixby uh, wrote the script. He was one of, obviously, the uh, producer stalwarts of the show, certainly during the season. February 14 of 19. 
69. The crew of the Enterprise encounters an immortal human who lives as a recluse on his own planet. Boom. Not only do I love this episode, but this has been the basis of a great piece of, Peel, you'll love this because you're just the same as me, a great piece of fan fiction I've written where uh, there was a guy in the 21st century and he, and, and I said it in South Haven cause I love South Haven. He and, his, <laughs> he and his brother were, were driving a skimmer over Lake Michigan and it crashed and his brother died and he should have died, but he lived because he was immortal. And then he joined earth Starfleet and found out, you know, and then and you just saw his journey throughout Starfleet uh, until, you know, the 25th century and he was on yep. all these different ships and stuff. So that's kind of like this and again, boy, I think maybe we should just call this episode, the string of speedy McWheels and the tangents. Oh, yep. there we go. Speedy McWheels and the tangents. Give me, give me just a minute to change it. And that's, I'm telling you, best cover band of all time. Speedy McWheel and the tangents. Uh, With their lead in band, the insane Klingon clown posse. <laughs> That's a little too long, but we're going to say no. That. Don't leave it in the title. I'm just saying, if yeah. there was ever a concert, yeah. like yeah, the insane Klingon composse. Oh my god. Um. Anyway, I love this episode. I love the concept of the immortally long lived. So yeah, we find out this guy who's calling himself Flint was also Socrates and Shakespeare and, and read a lot. Yeah, exactly. In Da Vinci, exactly. Um, but he's been, you know, out on this planet by himself, and time is finally catching up with him. He's dying. Yeah. You know, being you know isolated in this uh, in this world by himself, he created a female companion who he's fallen in love with. But because she's a quasi emotionless android, it's like naturally Kirk falls for her and tries to get with her because you know Kirk. Um, but she can't really understand, you know that essence of romantic attraction because he you know he's like you're the only other sentient being around me so i love you and that's why i made you a woman but you know she becomes so conflicted with how she can how she feels she's hurting him versus how she's feeling about kirk that she just futzes out and And we find out that there's been multiple versions which also causes an existential crisis so right exactly Exactly. So I really liked this episode. You know, mm-hmm. I would say as we go through these six episodes, um, it's such it, it's such a mixed bag because we got some that are really great, and then we have like, some. Stankers. And then we have the one we're coming up to next. Uh, but I don't want to. I don't want to preclude your thoughts about uh, your thoughts about uh, Requiem for Methuselah. I generally liked Requiem for Methuselah. I, I sometimes myself have a little bit of a bias when Star Trek goes into like, hey, these really amazing things. It's this person that was an alien that lived on Earth. There's part of me that's like, that's cool. And there's another part of me that's like, that's eh. lazy. <laughs> well, it's not just it's lazy. It's like, come on, humans have had lots of success. Let, have, let us rest on our own laurels. Don't take it away from us. Well, that's I mean, it's fu- that quote is funny because even Gene Roddenberry was once uh, in, a, in a video interview that I saw. He says, you know, aliens didn't build the pyramids. Humans built the pyramids. And then exactly. here comes the terrible part because they're hardworking and they're clever. I'm like, and it was slave labor, but we don't need to bring that up. <laughs> Well, there's actually mixed stories on that one at this point right. with current archaeology. But yeah. Right. Yes. But anyway, yeah. Well, the way those things were put together doesn't sound like something somebody would want to do willingly. They didn't have machines. Probably not. Yeah. But who knows? But anyway, the, the, the essence of what Gene said, I think, makes sense. Because, yes, people are smart and hardworking. Yeah. We create amazing things. It's not aliens. So. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I love the episode, but that. All, that little part just always gives me just a little bit of pause. But he, but so. he, he wasn't really an alien, though. He was, no, he wasn't an alien. But like saying that, like it's only one person that's done all these great things right. throughout history. It's like no, no, 
there's lots of people who can do amazing right. things. And it's That's not, all. It's yeah. it, again, it's it's a very very minor nitpick. Right, and it, it also kind of falls right in there with the Star Warsism, like you know everybody knows everybody. So it, Luke Skywalker, you know Darth Vader, also as a kid built C three PO, and it's just like okay, not everybody, you know, everybody didn't know everybody, um, but. Yes, I kind of styled my guy who should have died, you know, before, you know, before, you know, and was part of Earth Starfleet during the time of Enterprise. I kind of styled that after this episode because I kind of. Yeah, I, I kinda no, it's a cool idea. I think there was also another um, fan so- show. It's it's I think it's long since dead at this point. Gotcha. Uh, I it will, was Star Trek uh, Timelines or something. And they had oh, like an Elorian that went through the entire history oh, of gotcha. Starfleet. I will try to find it and share it with you. You can give me your notes. So anyway, all right. Speaking of stinkers, but it's so, it's so <laughs> magical. Because the writer's great. It's so magically bad, though. I'm watching it and I'm like, if you look at it like from a 10,000 foot view, it's great, but it is so. You know how a couple episodes back, let that be your last battlefield was like way too on the nose for you. This yeah. was way too on the nose for me about literally what was going on in the country. So go ahead, go ahead, please. Yeah. So episode twenty, if you hadn't guessed yet, uh, the way to Eden, space hippies. Yeah, space hippies, directed by David Alexander, a veteran. A uh, story by, and this is why it hurts so much. Oh. DC Fontana and oh, Arthur Heinemann. I mean, can you just see the writer's room where she's tied to a chair and he's like, <laughs> and then they have three musical numbers and there's oh, a girl God. who's playing bicycle spokes and it's an instrument. Oh my yeah. God. Aired on February 21st, 1969. Oh my God. It's a, it's a trip. Yes. <laughs> well, um, yes, please. So yeah, ahead. the enterprise is hijacked by a criminal doctor and his loyal Hippie-like. hippie-like followers who are attempting to find paradise. Oh my god! They're not hippie-like. They are hippies. Yeah. Um, of note, uh, the main hippie who delivers one of my favorite lines: "I'm going to crack my knuckles and jump for joy. I've got a clean bill of health." From Doctor McCoy is veteran character actor Charles Napier, who was in absolutely everything i think he had a i think he was contract player for like universal for example in the 1970s because you saw him in wonder woman incredible hulk all these different tv shows but he was most famous um the lead the the lead dude of the good old boys in the blues brothers if you remember the guys who had a winnebago who chased him down and you know uh and all this yeah so it's great guy um i don't know that any of the other actors uh were of note but he but he really was so that was that was pretty great but yeah yeah, without a doubt, um, a very unabashed um, viewpoint. Look at my air quotes if you're not watching this on YouTube. Um, very unabashed viewpoint of um, the counterculture in the United States at the time, protesting, you know, Vietnam War by a metaphor of saying, well, we're looking for something better. We're looking for the ultimate uh, anything. Of course, the, the world that they, you know, what happens is the Enterprise finds his ship breaking down, which was stolen. Well, I think it was stolen. Yeah. And, uh, they're trying to get to a pro- uh, planet in the Romulan neutral zone, not really someplace that you want to be. Um, but eventually they find a way to, you know, and one, one of the one of the, the young ladies who's part of the party is a childhood friend slash love interest of Chekhov. And so that gets complicated. And they're so persuasive that they got people in the crew listen to them, including when they're playing the song. This was my favorite bit because it's funny because they looped it. Um, when they're playing the song and it's going through the PA on the ship because Spock is playing with him. He's like, I, I hear, you know, they're doing the we are one and I am one with you or I grok with you or whatever he's playing with him. And so yeah. you, see, 
you see Scotty standing at the energy station station on the bridge. He's pushing the buttons. And there's a dude sitting in the chair who's obviously an engineer. And he's like going, I think Scotty looks over at him. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Knock it off. But he's speaking to him. He's You know, so reflective of, you know, the fact that we hear what these hippie people were saying, but ultimately their nonviolence was, uh, you well, know, it, it ended up it being, they, ult- would, they and ultimately be ended up being short sighted and self-destructive. Exactly. Um, and plus the fact that the, the doctor, I think is Dr. Severin, um, was, uh, typhoid Mary. Essentially he carried a lethal virus. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any planet that he would go to as a carrier, he would decimate, according to, to Bones, he said there wouldn't be enough people left bury the dead. He would he would be beyond infectious. He would literally kill anyone. Obviously, yep. besides the people on the Enterprise, I can't remember why they were they were not susceptible. Maybe because whatever it was it had something to do with the filters on the ship yeah, or something. Whatever it was was curable for people in the Federation. But if they landed on a planet with an indigenous population that was not yeah, treated, they, this, they, would, they would all die. Um, so ultimately, yes, that's that's this Doctor Severin very. Uh, when he gets to this plant, they get to a planet and all the plants are poisonous. The grass is acid. And Severin's like, no, it can't all be for nothing. And he climbs up a tree and eats an apple and kills himself. A little bit, a yeah. l- little bit too on the nose. Yeah, it was very on the nose. Yeah. Big time. It was, it was another one of those like. Yeah. Again, it's one of those episodes like, oh, we can do social commentary. Maybe don't try so hard. Yeah. And this was yeah, this was beyond trying hard. Uh, And yeah, like I said, you know, there were parts of it that kind of worked in. It's it's another episode one situation. Parts of it that worked in concept, but the other parts of it were I don't like sand. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So yeah, definitely. But but again, it's but a it, classic. But it has it has allowed memes. You know, the, right. there's lots of memes about the space hippies, and it did allow for. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but someone took Star Trek TOS clips and put it to Knights of the Round Table from Monty Python, and there's a oh, lot of that in there. Find me a clip because I would. I've never seen. It. I'd like to see. Oh that. no! Oh yeah, it's been yes, bouncing please. around the internet webs for a while. Bounce it, bounce it my way. All right, moving on. Episode twenty one is the Cloud Minders, uh, directed by Judd Taylor. We've seen his name other points uh, during the season. Uh, stated by uh, story by David Gerald, who gave us trouble with Tribble. So again, a classic. Uh, writer mm-hmm. for the series in Oliver Crawford. Don't don't know his name. Teleplay by uh, Margaret uh, Arman. This is from February 28 of 1969. Kirk races against time to acquire plague-fighting minerals from a world in the midst of a civil uprising. More social commentary. Yeah, have- this one's a bit better than the previous one, though. Definitely. You have a you have, the planet is Stratos. Uh, their capital city is literally perched on a cloud in the sky, which obviously it's some kind of Star Wars-like repulsor lift technology. Yeah, it, 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 it's best been without the tail. Without the, without the tail, exactly. And then, and then below you have you have you have the haves and the have-nots. You have the miners who uh, not only are you know a little lower class and they wear you know kind of ugly garb, but basically mining these rocks kind of makes them dumb and simple. Um, yep. And so you know the struggle, and then obviously our people uncover this. And it becomes an issue for them, even though they're trying to get the mineral because they've got to cure a plague. I mean, it's Star Trek. They've got to cure a plague somewhere. So yeah. they've, got to, they've got to require the mineral for this reason. Um, but then, you know, Kirk gets embroiled with, of course, there's, you know, one of the the, the troglodyte factions, tries, who is 
amazingly not triglodyte looking nor dumb because she's a servant on the cloud city. Um, tries. I love this. She tries to attack him in his bed, but he still wrestles her around in kind of a romantic pose because it's Kirk. He's so much more Kirk-like in season three than I think the rest of the series. Every episode, he's, he's more of the cultural stereotype of Kirk in right, the right. next few episodes. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, in the difference of, you know, kind of uh, the writing, uh, yeah, changing writers and stuff probably definitely has something to do with it. But uh, in the end of it, uh, Kirk ends up getting banished to the surface where he's wearing the worst looking breathing apparatus I've ever seen. Do you see yep. it's like it's in front of his mouth, but it wraps around the back of his head. to like, And, there, and it's got space everywhere. Yeah. Right. So it wouldn't work. I think April walked into the room and was like, how is that going to keep him from breathing the toxic gases or whatever? I said, it's not. It's it's bad. This is what happens when you don't have any money for props. You end up with this shit. Somebody put it together with, you know, uh, some some twine and spit and bailing wire. Yeah, spit and bailing wire big time. So, um, again, it was a great. I thought it was. I thought this was better social commentary. It was executed better. Um, yeah, it was much. I, it was executed much, much better. There was the uh, the young lady, the daughter Ardana, I think was her name, with the very tinfoil boob holder that didn't really leave much. This is very racy, racy uh, outfits in this season. My God, uh, and I thought this was definitely right up there. She fell in love with Spock. You know, Spock is just more the you know. No, I'm good. Women coming on to him. I think this season in particular. Um, yeah, he's just beating him off with a stick. Where Kirk just goes for it, you know. That's the yeah. yeah they they kind of lean into that a little bit more in this one. Yeah, which is interesting. Right, it's kind of a more of a dichotomy. Other thoughts about the episode? Um, not really. I mean, it's generally fine. Um, <laughs> that's it. That, wasn't it? That, wasn't that, one of the, that's going to be your merch quote. It's generally fine. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was okay. Yeah, I've I've said that all about a lot of like season three episodes. They're okay. Right. Um, okay. This one wasn't terribly memorable for me. Right. Um, so, like, I was reading the description. It's like, oh, yeah, that one. Eh. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. Delightful. Um, so, yeah. I, I keep getting this one mixed up with um, Blink of an Eye for some reason. Which, but, again, I just, I, episode barely registers for me. Yeah. It might be because they're both just kind of, eh. But, right. <laughs> Exactly. Well, one thing is not is this next episode, which I absolutely adore. The Savage Curtain. The Savage Curtain, directed by Herschel Dougherty, story by Roddenberry himself, teleplay by Roddenberry and Arthur Heineman, because Arthur Heineman can write a little bit better than Roddenberry. I guess. Uh, In circles, yeah. March 7th, 1969. Aliens, Yarnick, force Kirk and Spock to battle illusionary villains and heroes in a test of good versus evil. Um, uh, the main, which one is, is president Lincoln. And yeah, this is the one where if, yeah, you, if you've ever seen just random clip of TOS on TV, this is probably yeah. the one you've seen of Abraham right. Lincoln in his chair, just floating into the view. Right. I love, and didn't they work that into uh, a, either a gag, a visual or, or, or just a spoken gag on lower decks? I swear they did. Lower decks did. Lower decks had a, um, a skeleton of Yarnick species. Oh, there you um, go. And they used its acid bones to cut a hole in the door. Oh, no, there you go. Chair. No, I meant, I meant more the Lincoln bed. I feel like they, they made Oh, um, 
or maybe they had Lincoln Skeleton too in that same room. Oh, Um, so the big collector's room. Okay, I get it. I get it. But I I love Lincoln. There was a great bit on uh, April and I always we love Stephen Colbert, but we'll only ever watch the first half of his show because it's just his monologue, and then he'll do another skit, and then he gets the interviews, which kind of boring. But he did a Lincoln one recently, and it was something about you know uh, more controversy about. The 2020 election, and then no. it just basically ended with uh, it said, and everyone remembers Abraham Lincoln's famous speech where blah 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 this thing and that thing, and he and then the the thing takes off his head and he's got a crown and he says, "I am now your king, all hail Lincoln!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Lincoln in this, and of course this does have he's the, really really good. He does, um, and he, it actually he sets up the delivery of one of Michelle Nichols uh, Nichols' best lines of the series this is one of the lines that i like to point to of how these things should be handled Um, exactly especially especially in contrast to how it's handled in most modern stuff i'm not pointing fingers at any series in particular i'm just saying in general um it's not handled as well as this where lincoln um uses a word which i will say because in context um so he said he he says um, that uh, Uhura is a charming negress. Um, and then he pauses and he's like, oh, um, I don't know if that's like, okay. Right. And she just looks at him and it's like, we've learned that words don't. Um, we've learned not to fear words. We've learned not to fear words. And it was, was just one of those things of human beings can learn and we can move past the hurts of the past. Right. And that's something that I thought was a, like, it's just a blink and you'll miss it. Right. But, it's such a really powerful moment and such a really, really well done moment. And they don't sit there and dwell on it, which makes it even better. Right. And, it, and it's so awash in a, a ton of fantastical science fiction. Like, oh, there, you know, he's a recreation of Lincoln. And then they've got to yeah. be down to a planet. Which, which makes that interaction make sense because that's, we associate Lincoln with that struggle with the Civil War. And right. so for that to come up, it's like, oh, yeah, well, of course that would come up. Right. And then he's like, and then we bring up, and then it's like, oh yeah, we've moved past that, right? Cool. And I mean, it was you know, and then they you know, so that was Kirk's moment because again, Kirk was drawn by you know, drawn from Kirk's memory because yep. it's a personal hero of his. We get the same thing once they do eventually get down to the planet. We get a recreation of of Serac, uh, who's basically the he's the Vulcan Jesus, you know, uh, more or less, Spock. yeah, more or less, yeah. And I, I love Spock's line because he kind of stutters when he sees him, and then he says, he says. Uh, when I saw you, I reacted with undue emotion, and for that, I apologize. And again, it's the same thing. Even though Sirach is obviously a recreation, he grocks, he gets what Spock is saying, and Spock mm-hmm. regards him as such the same way that you know Kirk knows that he's not talking to Lincoln, and then even Spock says, live long and prosper, image of Sirach. But he still is, yeah. is affording that same respect. Because they are still... And they're and they're not like perfect recreations, but they do embody those people. Right. And exactly. so, like, you're it, it's kind of like deal. It's better than, but similar to how they deal with the clone of Kalos and TNG. Right. Um, Very much so. Very much so, so. But it's not just those two. We then get um, our first vision of Kalos, the unforgettable. Right. Who is um, for no good? Now it makes sense because for no good reason he's dressed in a current day 
Klingon military uniform. Because Kirk doesn't know anything about Klingon culture other than he's Bingo. probably heard the name. Only what He only knows what he's seen. And all he's seen is other yeah. Klingon. And, and that's usually what I point to when people start pointing out that this is inconsistent with everything else. It's like, no, because main, mainly because like we have the painting of Kalos later on in Redemption and such. Right, exactly. Uh, not um, rightful air, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, but it's like, well, why would Kalos, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like Kirk hadn't met any bumpy headed Klingons right. because of the augment virus, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and and then he hadn't seen like, yeah. he hadn't seen like Klingon cultural outfits because he just right. needs the military officers. Right. So and got no context. And as I've always said, and I have the, I should move my Federation history map back behind me here, but I always had, uh, when looking at it, the Klingon empire is so vast that it runs off the map. So I'm always fond of saying that, you know, bumpy headed Klingons and extreme bumpy headed Klingons that we've seen in discovery could all be coexisting at the same time in the gigantic vast empire where could it, be. Different yeah. planets and blah, blah. But anyway, we're definitely in the weeds on this one. So, yeah, we go back to we've got K-Less. You've got Colonel Green who gets a call back in Enterprise, which I love. Yep. Uh, as we, His uniform gets used in Mork and Mindy, fun fact. Oh, my God. You're absolutely right. He's wearing Mork's outfit 10 years later. Uh, then you get Zora, who's some weird, you know, something or other. And then Genghis Khan, who just looks like a very stereotypical, like, ah. yeah, He doesn't really do anything. Yeah. He's just there. So he's, they, he's there for name recognition. That's it. Right. He's like, and here's something you probably heard about in, in fifth grade history class. Um, so, yeah, it becomes what, you know, in, in the 80s in Marvel Comics, they had the Secret Wars, which was the miniseries with this creature, the Beyonder, pulled heroes and villains into his own world and said, fight each other. And whoever went good and evil. This is how we got other. the Venom symbiote. Yeah. To, yeah, that's how we got the Venom suit. So fight each other and whoever wins gets whatever they want the most. And then that's pretty much it. That's exactly where this came from. So Jim Shooter, who wrote it, and we're looking at you. We know where you stole it from. I'm kidding. Mm. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But anyway, in the end of it, yeah, everybody, uh, you know, Kirk and Spock live, but uh, Strzok and, and Lincoln. Strzok and Abraham Lincoln sacrifice yeah, themselves. They do. And then, and then the uh, villains in the end of it just run off. Uh, and so at the end of it, what Kirk and Spock want to do is leave. So they do. And that's the end of the episode. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I love this episode, but yeah, you're right. This is one of those that both this and the space hippie episode, it seems like anywhere from, you know, mid 1969 to whenever people stop watching regular broadcast TV, you had like a one in five chance of 79 episodes of seeing one of these two. Yeah. I just remember whenever I turned on the TV, the sci-fi channel or spike TV at whatever time it was like, inevitably I would see Savage Curtain. So I have seen Savage Curtain like a million times. So like, I love this episode, but there are, if I'm just doing a watch through and it gets the Savage Curtain, I'm like, if I'm not feeling it, skip. (laughs) I've seen this one so many times. Skip a Rooney. That's all right. It's still a good episode though. I got it. All right. Episode 23. All are, Yesterdays, uh, directed by Marvin Chomsky, written by Jean Lesette, Arostante, I mean, she must be a French woman, Aroset, maybe that sounds a, sounds Arost, I think, Arost, Arost, uh, March 14 of 1969, wow, there was a several month gap between the final two episodes, that's weird, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing the series got canceled somewhere between mid-March and basically June, and they're like, we got this one episode left, boop, um, but anyway, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are trapped in the past on a world threatened by a Nova, and all of the past of this is, seems to be a mirror to Earth. Uh, because, yeah, they've been beamed into it. It's funny. I, I owe this to 
uh, Ben Stiller, the comedian and actor who is a huge Star Trek fan, who pointed mm-hmm. out to me in one of his films that the librarian at this archive that can send people in the past, <laughs> his name is Mr. Ataz, A-2-Z. Yep. Ataz. Um, but yeah, a, fun, a funny little old man who's like, I need you to prepare you through the Atavacron to go into the past because this world is going to melt down. All the citizens got transitioned and then they got sent off to a different time period so they could live in the past. Yep. Um, our people uh, end up going through accidentally or uh, without being prepared, which, you know, plot device gives them. Uh, yeah, basically they haven't had their quantum signature scrambled to mix with the current timeline. Basically, That's my yes. understanding of it. Ex- exactly correct. So what happens is kind of an interesting to us. Kirk's plot line is kind of dumb because he goes back to like yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. He goes back to like the Salem witch trials. It's like, who, yeah, who gives a shit, right? It's just, it's stupid and he gets out of it easily enough. The interesting part of the episode is that McCoy and Spock end up in this glacial past where... Yeah, the Ice Age. Well, yeah, the Ice Age, basically, where McCoy is injured or he succumbs to the elements. Um, Spock is able to resist just because of his Vulcan physiology. Uh, they are, they are a hooded figure finds them and drags them back to their cave. Turns out the hooded figure happens to be a beautiful woman. It's actually played by uh, Marianne Hartley, who's an actress who went on to be of some note in the 70s and 80s. Um, but what's interesting is that because they're in the past, Spock's methodology, his brain chemistry, kind of lets go of the Vulcan philosophy of embracing logic yeah so they have like this yeah. weird thing where because they're back in time spock his, turns into his like, brain yeah. rev- regresses to the right. earlier vulcan which is weird very it's very weird you know and he gets super horny for mariette hartley which is great yep. even spawned a non-canonical tie-in novel where the two of them had sex she got pregnant and then he's got a kid in the past and then somehow something or other I never read it. It's called Yesterday's Sun, and it was written back in the 80s or something. I've never huh. read it, but I'm aware of it. So now I'm interested. Here, here's an here's an add us on Twitter. If you've read that book, add us on Twitter, at Secret Friends You. Tell if it's, if yeah. it's any good. Yeah, at the C3 or at Petrus Aquinas. Let one of us know if the novel is worth reading, because I'll give it a crack. I mean, that's the thing about any novels on your Kindle now. They're all 99 cents. So you know what? Even if you read it or read half of it or read 10% of it, it's garbage. You spent 99 cents, so who cares? So I'd like to know if it's any good. Uh, but yeah, he gets horny for Marriott Hartley, and then he gets real short with McCoy. He's like, you know what? I'm sick of your shit. Stop talking to me like I don't like it anymore because I don't like it. And then, But then McCoy says, what were the people on your planet doing 2,000 years ago? They were like the worst of the worst of human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to find a way to get back. Maybe she can't go back. Turns out she was a political prisoner who was yep. sent back to live in the Ice Age as basically a prison because she was a Tavacron Ice. She had to stay, but our guys were able to get back. Then everybody beams back to the ship and then they fly away. And Mr. Atos runs into the thing. Happy, Mr. happy. The whole society yeah. has survived in the right. sense that they didn't get blown up by the sun, but the civilization's still dead because right. they didn't save themselves. You're but. right. So it's a very glass half full kind of scenario. I totally agree with you there. Oh, man. So we have reached the true end of the road. Is this you or me? Who's reading this one? Yeah, this one's me. Go for it. Please take us home. <sighs> okay. Episode 24 in total out of episode 79 of 79, the mm-hmm. final episode 
the end potentially the worst finale in star trek history unceremonious as we say on sfu all the time a wet fart what oh we coined a term in the last episode uh it was a buzz of a wet fart which oxford said was a buzzy wet fart there you go there you go yeah so um if you haven't guessed by now turnabout intruder (laughs) directed by her waller stein uh story by gene roddenberry i don't know where he pulled this one out you know uh, what? Teleplay by Arthur Singer aired on June not, June 3rd of 69. I'm going to tell you that there's a good chance that maybe this is when maybe weed was getting he was getting into mushrooms, maybe he was smoking weed. I don't that know. That actually makes a lot of sense. You know, every it was the 60s, it was, you know, every I mean, the Beatles the Beatles wrote Sgt. Pepper on more drugs than you can possibly imagine, and it is a masterpiece of popular music. So, you know what? That's not what happened here. <laughs> That's all I can it's say. not a masterpiece. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, this this is one of those episodes that has aged like milk. Um, not only is it a terrible, terrible final episode for the <laughs> much beloved original series, but it is just a dumpster. Like, it's, like it's, we'll it's, say how like they, these are the voyages is a terrible send off for Enterprise, but it wasn't just a. Right. Like crap. Well, actually, well, actually, they're fairly com- comparable. Um, Fair, but, fairly, but at least. I mean, these are the voyages has other things going on right. that make it exactly. a little bit better. But this one just completely takes a dump in your face. Oh and my it's God. Great. It is, um, yeah, because it is so absolutely yeah. right. So, with the synopsis sexism my god but anyway, yeah Kirk's yes, consciousness becomes trapped in the body of a woman bent on killing him and taking over his command while inhabiting his body in concept not a terrible idea with the, with the brain switching but, but <laughs> the execution is absolutely atrocious brings in all sorts of things that now we have to be like what oh. Yeah, like, like a woman can't be in command of a starship. Oh no, it's like yeah, women in Starfleet, like, right? Women in Starfleet. We've seen one officer. We've seen, uh, we've yeah, seen we, like commanders. We haven't seen any admirals, or we saw someone with a captain rank once, I think. And t- and um, I, I'm trying to think in TOS because I feel like I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on other officers because Chapel was a nurse. Did, didn't have did she have rank or didn't have rank? No, she didn't. Tech you. Her sleeves were short, so you never actually saw what she had. Oh, I feel um, like in this episode she was wearing her skirt was short. Any, but I thought if she was anything, she would have lieutenant stripe. Um, or yeah, you know, and that's was the, that's what I hated about ranking in TOS, which they, they didn't really fix for Strange New Worlds, is that um, everything is one stripe backwards from the United States Navy. If you look at, for example, Navy whites have. The stripe, one stripe is ensign, stripe and a half is lieutenant junior grade, so on and so forth. Yeah, they're just um, missing one, which is just weird. They're missing I mean, one, so yeah. So it's because they wanted that wonky captain stripe, and so then they yeah, made they want yeah, they, they wanted yeah, two wide and one narrow in the middle. So, but yeah, I feel like Uhura is the highest ranking. Uh, well, you know, no, yeah, but, um, yeah. there was a commander, uh, I forget her name, it, it, at um, Kirk's court martial. There, um, she was a commander in, in, in a non-speaking role. I would assume no. She oh. she was the uh, prosecuting yeah. attorney. Okay, I'm in court martial. I'm going to have to go back and rewind. Yeah, it. but yeah, you're right. We never. I mean, we only saw a handful of admirals. None of them were women. Um, but yeah. yeah, this was. Yeah, this was. Yeah. Oh, you're her, the the actual line you're referring to is your world of starship captains doesn't admit women. 
which yes. immediately is retcon going back to Enterprise because Erica Hernandez was the captain of, of the, the NX-01. And, and they also made a very, very huge point of it in Star Trek Four, where right. the opening shot is... Was actress um, Captain Claire, yeah, who was also Captain Brahms. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know the name. The actress was Madge Sinclair, who was not only Queen of Zamunda in regardless, the captain of the Saratoga, like right, right there. And she was also the captain of. uh, She was also Jordy Forge's mother. Jordy LaForge's mother also Starfleet captain. So yeah, yeah. So Um, like, it's it's one of those things that gets like super retconned, and so this episode, because of that, also just becomes weird with its world building, right? But then it's also just dumb because of how, mostly because of how Lester is doing crap, right? Um, she's just written very very badly. Right. Um, and, and she's spouting all sorts of like right. these sexist tropes against herself. Right. And um, then, and then a doctor, what's his ass, whose name I'm forgetting the, the guy who's oh, I'm in love with you. And why yeah. can't you let it go? And at the end of it, when ultimately she's defeated, she's like, it's okay. I'll take you. It's like, that has no self-respect. I'll, I'll take care of her, even though she doesn't love me at all. But you know what? I'm her, I'm a fucking doormat for her. So I'm just gonna let her abuse me. Yeah. It's super cool. When honestly, she should be going to, uh, she should be going with where Garth is. Yeah. It's for, she's got for, some serious for, mental issues. She's got a, a penal colony for assault. Because she, yeah, she in identity theft and then uh, attempted murder, attempted and stealing a Federation vessel, and yeah, kind of not, yeah. So to be like, oh, it's okay, I'll take care of her. No, you fucking will not. You'll put her ass in jail, and you know what? Yeah, like she needs treatment. Yes, like treat her with compassion, but she does need to go to jail for a little. Yeah, exactly. While. Well, it seems like the doctor he was in McCoy even said, well, you know, he's. Uh, was lost his license, and so it seems like he sucks too. So yeah, they both yeah. suck, and it's just one of those like. I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't mind if Lower Decks came back to this and used it as a gag. Oh my god, um, that would be awesome. Just because, like, the mind switching could be it, it could be really really funny, right? If they right. did it well, yeah. Um, like you know, have Boimler switch with Beckett, and then there's all sorts of shenanigans. Oh my god, that could be really funny. You, um, you know what? This is. I'll tell you what. Take yourself to Twitter. Uh, Anybody else who likes this, uh, you know, at the at uh, at you know CBS at Paramount, I have at the official, uh, you know, Star Trek Lower Decks uh, Twitter. Start blowing them up with this idea. This is a fun idea. I like it. So, oh yeah, so yeah, this was a ending with a whimper, not a bang. Yep. Um, and but on the plus side, it wasn't the end of the story. <laughs> it wasn't the end of the story. Yeah, Star Trek, just to give you the the thumbnail sketch, which you probably already know, the show went off the air, as I had mentioned, uh, the way that ratings were received and processed. Shortly thereafter proved that the show was an enormous success. Uh, they attempted, an, and, and I don't know why they didn't bring it back sooner in live action from like in the early 70s. Obviously, there's a reason. Maybe They, they were trying, back. but it just kept falling on its face you know and they did the animated series which again you could see that it was it was in an effort to appeal to you know there was a younger base that enjoyed the program because again the show went into syndication in 1970 1971 and it was an enormous hit because it aired at 
seven o'clock at night after the six o'clock news. And as I've mentioned before, you know, it's it's like that scene in Back to the Future where dad wheels the TV into the into the, the dining room and we're watching Star Trek with dinner. So yep. Star Trek becomes this American institution of television, almost unlike anything that you've seen since I Love Lucy or the Westerns from the 90s. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's I mean, Star Trek was one of the ones that spawned the first like major fan conventions. And like, yeah, right. the, the idea that we have now of like cultural fandom right star trek Star Trek fans exactly Um, so yeah because that role the first convention was in new york city in 1973 i've heard jimmy doing talk about it in interviews he said they were expecting maybe 100 people they got like 5,000 people and it just has been growing in the last 50 years since that's been going on then you know they attempted to bring back in a television program that turned into star trek the motion picture and so on and so forth so all right so to wrap this up somewhat succinctly looking at these last six episodes and maybe even possibly comparing it to the prior three segments where we split them up into quarters. How would you rate this segment for strength of episodes versus some of the other stuff we dealt with in season? Um, Well, it's definitely stronger than I think the second segment. Yeah. Um, The second, if I remember the second segment was pretty bad. I mean, and so was really the the first. The the first and second segments were both, there were like one or two, maybe three episodes that were like, these are pretty solid. Spectre the Gun was in there, the Enterprises, and it was in that first one. So there were a couple good ones, but generally like, yeah, it's Spock's brain, and it's just kind of a dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, But then we get into this, and yeah, it's it's strong, because the only thing we had that was really we had weak. the way to Eden, which is weak, and then we had Turnabout Intruder, which is a dumpster fire. But so something I will say about the way of Eden is at least it's fun. Where there's right, I said it's weak. Yet. I didn't say it was it's bad. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's nothing that you can look at the Turnabout and then say, oh yeah, that was great. The one thing I thought in Turnabout Intruder that was a redemption is that when it was re-released in 06, thanks to the um, the HD remastering with the recompositing of all the shots, the Enterprise does fly off into a nebula, so like flying off into the sunset. So. Yeah, kind of like the end of um, TNG. Exactly. So I like that. So, yeah, so they tried it. to turn yeah. it into a little bit of a salute off. But. Right. Yeah, instead, instead, instead of uh, the end of Enterprise, which was just it, flipping you off. <laughs> I mean, the final, the I will say, the final shot of These Are the Voyages is one of my favorite shots. Mm-hmm. It just is. Oh, um, that, the big transition with all the, the transition from the Enterprise D to the original and back to yeah. the NX. That's just, that is a fantastic, whoever thought of that. Right. Bravo. There, there but, was there was somebody in the room who was thinking smart thoughts, and I like that. So, yeah, But outside right. of that, eh. yeah, Exactly. <laughs> all right, that is the end of TOS. So... Holy cow. So um, this is the first uh, one of the shows uh, in doing it in this format that we have uh, gone through the whole thing. Um, So we're going to be moving in in upcoming weeks. We're doing a teardown of Star Trek Nemesis in our next episode. Katie will be back. That's going to be awesome. Uh, And then you'll get Katie Katie and I talking about uh, Star Trek uh, Voyager Season 2, where Peter will just be joining us to talk about uh, Lower Decks. I don't like Voyager. But <laughs> but he is going to be our Tom Paris. Uh, yes. we'll, so we'll be going back to the split format. But the next episode, you'll get a full episode, just like this full episode of Peter and I. You'll get a full episode of the three of us. So, Peter, with that, uh, where do people uh, – please take us out. I'm sorry. All right. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grant Petoskey on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Peter, where do people find you out there on the webs of Intra? You can find me out on the interwebs at Petrus Aquinas on most things, as I've said recently. I don't post a whole lot, but you can find me, and you can at me, harass me, and I may respond. 
It could happen. Oh, my God. Of course, you can find me over on Twitter at the C3. Just spell it out. Uh, and you can find me on other socials uh, doing that as well. My wife, uh, April, and I do run the USS Grand Petoskey. We're the West Michigan chapter of the International Star Trek Fan Club, of which Peter and Katie are members. Uh, so find us uh, at a website of that name and also on all socials kind of at that tag. I also do my best to fill up our Secret Friends Unite Facebook community with news as we go. Please do uh, subscribe to our Secret Friends Unite uh, podcast network feed on the podcast service of your choice. That gets you all four of our shows. That would be this wonderful program. Talking about Star Trek bi-weekly. You also get our weekly Secret Friends Unite Prime show, which has uh, been coming out since 2014, your guide to the geek side. We have co-op mode talking about video games, also bi-weekly. And then we have a Star Wars podcast called The Holocron Chronicles, which Peter was recently on uh, talking about some news, but we've got Andor starting this week, so we're going to have a whole lot to talk about over on that program. So, friends, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring, and to keep on trekking. Peace and long life. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server, or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.